Hello, Sobertown, and welcome to the Sobertown podcast. I am Polly, and today I have the joy of doing a follow-up with the delightful and beautiful ATX mom. Good morning, sweetheart, from hot and sweaty Texas. <laughs> good morning, good morning. It is. Yesterday was hot. Hot. <laughs> it's yeah and we're not really into the heat of summer yet so um <clears throat> I don't know why but this year it just seems I don't know maybe I'm getting older who knows but uh we're going to do a follow-up with you and do some check-ins and see how how you felt after your share and any reactions you had to it so first of all we'll, we'll go to you um and we'll say <clears throat> How did you feel yourself within yourself after sharing? Um, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I really enjoyed sharing. It was, you know, it was a very long conversation that I had with Drifter and it was over so quickly. Um, and I still don't feel like we covered half of what I wanted to cover or, you know, half of what, um, you know, I think about all the time, but, um, it was just so enjoyable. And I had a lot of anxiety beforehand, um, and had all this like mental prep and it was just a very nice, easygoing conversation with him. And I, I just enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it. I'm glad. And some of us have felt that it was in a way cathartic to say the whole thing not all of it, because as you just said, there's still so much, but you can't tell your life story in a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, we've been around a while. Well, I have. Um, <laughs> but um, did you find telling it the whole thing? Because we tell people within I Am Sober bits and pieces of our life story and the Zooms that I Am Sober groups do. You don't get all of it in one go. And to put it all out there in one chunk, did it feel like um, a release, uh, something that was cathartic? It did. Um, it was nice to put so much all together in a cohesive you know, timeline, basically. Um, it really forced me to analyze even further what I hadn't already been analyzing mm -hmm. from start to finish. Um, and so I feel like it really helped me kind of reassess a lot of patterns and things that, you know, I've been noticing um, have been reoccurring throughout my life. So it was, it was good to kind of put that down and be able to look at it from that perspective. I think there's, there's quite a, I mean, even um, rags, she said after sharing, she went back because she suddenly started realizing things. I've done the same kind of thing. And it's only when we vocalize a lot of this that we suddenly get the aha moments. And we go and we go back and reassess. Um, did you go back and revisit some of the things you said and see them differently? Because I think... Um. We put ourselves down so much on this journey. We, we, we live with guilt. We live with shame so much until we get sober. And I think putting it all out there, sometimes we realize we were harder on ourselves than 
we needed to be. I haven't hit that part yet. <laughs> I am <laughs> still really hard on myself and still really mm. bad at recognizing it. Um, I haven't had that aha moment yet because I mm -hmm. still circle back to it. I was doing it yesterday, mm -hmm. but um, I, I did go back and listen to it, which I wasn't sure if I was going to do. It was kind of like, I don't know if I want to listen to myself. But I did, I went back and listened to the whole thing and it, I was happy with how it sounded. You know, I was, it, I don't feel like I came across any major breakthroughs. I think I just kind of put to words, um, a lot of, a lot of my story instead of, like you said, instead of being bits and pieces, I just put my whole story together. And even then I feel like I didn't, uh, take enough time to explain certain things because I have, you know, what feels like to me, um, kind of a checkered, jaded history. And so <laughs> there are areas in my life where, um, maybe those situations don't represent how I see myself or, um, there are situations in my life that I'm still struggling to kind of deal with. Yeah. that they happened, that they're part of my past, you know, because I see myself as a certain way. And sometimes the way that I see myself and the things that I've been through don't match up. It's like, how did that happen to me? How did I let that happen? How did, you know, it, it just doesn't connect. Like I was raised better than that more, more <laughs> or less, but you know, more than being raised, just that's who I am. Like I'm better than that. And so, um, that was a little, that was a little difficult because I felt like I didn't get enough time to explain some of the more personal areas that probably I feel more insecure about um, that I feel would benefit from more explanation. But at the same time, it's still really personal and I don't know if I want to go it's, into that either. So it's hard to, to dig right deep into some of the stuff that we've, we've dealt with and um, a lot of things are personal I have something extremely personal to me that I will unfortunately no I'll never put out there but that is my choice and same as this is your choice as to what you want people to know <clears throat> and these are things that are not relevant to other people they're relevant to us so there are things that people just don't need to know you know, um, we don't need to expose ourselves right down to our bloody knickers. You know, I'm not, I'm not you don't want me standing there naked at my age. <laughs> <laughs> I would scare the living shit out of people that would it give you nightmares. <laughs> but you do expose yourself when you, you tell this. And we do strip away some layers because everybody... Um, we're all in, in a word, onions. We've all got many, many layers. And we start stripping them away. And some of them we have to strip away ourselves personally. Does that resonate with you at all? It does. And it also is personal to me because I am very passionate about destigmatizing things. Mm -hmm. And so um, I call myself an open book. You know, there's <laughs> to a fault, I'm an oversharer. I probably share too much at times. Um, 
but I feel like when people can openly talk about things, it takes, it takes some of the power away from these negative things. So whether it be, you know, female empowerment or body image empowerment or awareness of our bodies or, you know, all these things that I'm passionate about that have all of these stigmas attached to them. If I can talk about it openly and kind of address the elephant in the room and not hide from it, then I feel like I benefit other people. And I'll be honest, like that, that has been my biggest takeaway from this has, has been the reaction from other people. I've had so many people say something to me that they listened to my podcast, that it resonated with them, that they related to it, that it, it made them think about things in a different way. You know, all of that has probably been the most powerful thing for me with this, because while it may have been painful or uncomfortable or, or, um, you know, forcing me to revisit things that I'd rather not revisit, it also put all of that out into the light for other people to hear and relate mm-hmm. to, and then not feel so afraid to talk about it. And, and that is to my core, something that I feel so strongly about that, that was really just, I've, I've just really enjoyed hearing from so many different people that I've never met before that I've never talked to before. And all of a sudden they're, they're reaching out to me to tell me that they've heard my story and they, they related to it. And that was just that was not what I was expecting. I mean, I knew there would, I knew there would be people that, that listened, but I didn't think it would be as big of a, a community. I, guess. I didn't realize there's so many people listening to our podcast now. Yeah. Um, They're becoming impactful. crazy. <laughs> it, it is. So that was, but I loved, I loved that. I really loved that about that. So, and you say in, in, the, in that conversation, just then you were saying that, um, not revisit. I mean, that's our biggest problem as to why a lot of us drink. We don't want to revisit things. So we hide. Um, I, I've reached a point where um, I'm not hiding because um, fear is not going to kill me. Fear is scary, yes. But it's much more scary to go back to drinking, I think. I'd rather face the fear than I would face climbing back out of the pit or out of the well, as I say. And I think for me, um, I, I, I don't procrastinate. I, I've never really been a procrastinator. Um, I'm a great believer in if it needs doing, get on and do it. And I think in a lot of ways you're the same because of the nature of your work, because you have to be organized. You have to get things done. So I'm actually, a, I am a bad procrastinator though. Personally. I get things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get things done, but I almost thrive off of uh, the stress of needing it done now and needing to have. And so I, I tend to put a lot of things off actually. And I do deal with stuff. Well, I think as a result, because I'm used to kind of thinking on my feet, um, but I actually am a really bad procrastinator. It's, it's one of my, one of my bigger flaws, to be honest, because, um, I lack so much, um, executive function. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's my, my brain. That's just how I'm wired, you know, but, um, for, forcing myself to do things is hard. It's really hard for me. Actually, I had to set an alarm for this and I've been up since four 30 this morning and I had to set an alarm to make sure I, I was here. <laughs> I think working in the health industry if you don't thrive on stress, you're in the wrong job anyway. <laughs> because it's you it's one of the most reactive jobs you can ever work in. You're constantly fighting fires on a daily basis, aren't you, within the healthcare industry? There's always oh, new constantly. Yeah, there's always new procedures and protocols and you know, changes um going on. I keep- we do electronic charting. And so one of the things that I've seen before is like, um, I saw like a a meme or something where somebody was talking about how it was their brain. And it was like 47 tabs on the computer open with like a song playing in the background. That is me. Like the only way I stay organized is to open up multiple tabs on people and keep their chart open until I know that I have completed everything that needs to be done or I will, Mm -hmm. I will lose something and I will misstep. So like a lot of this has been me trying to figure out, um, you know, now that I'm over the hump of, of, of sobriety, because that's kind of how I I see it is like, I, I, I know that I function best sober. I know I have a problem with alcohol. I know that it it has no place for itself in my life. Mm -hmm. So now I'm spending all this time looking at myself, looking at how I do things, um, why I do things, trying to understand uh, how to do things differently, how to do things better now that I've identified, you know, some cause and effect. Um, and so it does, it, it helps, helps me at work. I have, I have all these different ways of, of staying organized um, that don't look really organized, to be honest, but it's my, my source of organization. It's like and, the prof- and it's how I function. Yeah, it's like the professor's room in the, in the college where he knows it, it's 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 a whole pile of books and chaos, but it's his chaos, and he knows exactly what's in amongst his chaos and where it is. Yes, I can't put anything away <laughs> until it's completely done. <laughs> oh my god! I now I'm the opposite. I believe it or not, um, <laughs> this is the one place that. There is a little bit of chaos is in this room because this is my little hidey hole. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what out of that talk with Drifter hit you the most? Hmm. And when you went and re-listened to it and you came out and you thought, Wow. I didn't realize. I I don't, I didn't have like any, like I didn't realize moments, but I did feel kind of um, taken aback by the length of my story. Like how long I'd really been drinking when mm-hmm. it started. Um, when I really dove in, I hadn't thought about that, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, I've never really been great with alcohol and it became a problem and I had to stop. 
but when I really looked at it and thought about when I first started drinking and how young I was and how we were drinking and how that progressed and how it changed over the years, that was pretty eye-opening for me. I really had a lot to kind of think about, especially when it comes to my own son, because my parents were completely oblivious that I was even drinking. Like they, I was such the perfect image of a, a good, good daughter that they had no clue until I was, you know, already in trouble. Um, they had no idea that, in fact, it made my mom really mad when she found out eventually I was probably like 24, 25. And, um, I, I don't know how it came up, but we, we did talk about how I would go to my girlfriend's house and drink and that her mother would buy us alcohol. And she was livid. She was like, ready to go home and call her mom up and give her what for. And I'm like, mama, I was 10 years ago, (laughs) calm down. But she, she didn't realize. And so that's something that I'm, I feel like I'm going to be more aware of as a result withholding because my parents didn't even think about it. No. And it's, it's people like that that offer the drinks that don't, you wonder what their drinking habits are like that they allow their children to drink. I mean, my boys used to drink, but um, I never. We never used to offer them drink in the house. It wasn't. It was very rare. It was in the house actually, because my husband used to go out on a Friday and play darts. Um, so his drinking was always done in the pub. It was only in the latter years that the drinking was. There was some drinking done at home. Um, but then, by then, the boys were much older. Um, they were well into their twenties by then, so I mean, it, I would I would hate to think that parents offer young children underage alcohol. It's a scary thing, isn't it? When you think about it, it's scary because you know these this family was mm-hmm. and and I mean I don't know. There's so much retrospect in that in that conversation. This was a family that I grew up with, you know. Mm-hmm. Their, her mom and dad practically raised me during my teenage years. Um, they, I lived with them for a couple of weeks when my parents got a divorce, you know, or told me that they were getting divorced and just walked out of the house. And so um, it was a very, they were a very trusted family. As an adult, that friend of mine I found was sexually abused by her father. Um her mother was physically abused by her father. There was a lot of abuse in that family that I didn't know was going on as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's tragic, isn't it? I mean, we don't know what goes. They would say that I can hear someone, someone can tell me something that they're going through, but there's two sides to everything. And you don't know what goes on behind closed doors in a lot of homes. So, I mean, and these are the kind of things that are kept secret. Um, and it's only when they reach the point like we did, of I can't do this anymore, that things open up. Yeah. And don't you find that, um, do you ever look at people and just kind of be like, God, I wish you could start healing yourself. I wish you could see yourself the way that I see you. Um, we did. That friend, that friend of mine is so damaged as an adult and, she, and, and she, uh, just kind of a sidebar on that one, but she's, she is the epitome of I've made it in life. 
you know, she has the beautiful home downtown. They're in real estate in Austin. They're successful, the fancy cars, the beautiful family. She looks like a Barbie doll. She is the most dysfunctionally per- dysfunctional person I, I know. And I know a lot of dysfunctional people, but her brain is so damaged. So, I mean, you really don't. I, I mean, I had no clue. And it, was, it wasn't until we were adults that she started to crack and she's still not dealing with things like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in that side of things. I'm so glad to be working on this, even if it's hard, even if it's painful, um, kind of to circle back to your procrastinating. I, <laughs> a friend of mine, he's going to hear this and he's going to, he's going to know I'm talking about him, but a friend of mine yesterday said, you know, you're never going to do what people tell you to do. Even I know that. and it's true it's true I will ask for advice and help until I'm blue in the face and I will gather all of that advice and I will ruminate on it and I will take my damn time to make a decision and I don't I don't make decisions quickly um I do procrastinate on all of my decisions I worry about if I'm I'm being impulsive I worry about if I'm not thinking everything through. And, and so that does, that does delay a lot of the things that I work on because I am not 100%. I don't trust my brain hundred percent all the time. I think, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but in sobriety, the longer I'm sober, the more I do step back and assess something before I actually make the decision. But when I make the decision, I've made it and that's it sort of thing. I can alter it if I want to depending on what's going on but um I don't I don't regard that as procrastination actually that is doing due diligence because if it's a big decision and it's a big thing you're doing you need to do your research to make sure that you are doing what is best and as we know in this journey we are constantly seeking information And it's a daily thing. And I am learning so much and discovering so much from my interaction with other people within the sober community. And going back to what you said about you just want to make people realize how beautiful they are. You know, we see this within our ladies groups, the self-doubt. We see it within the I Am Sober app where people just... You could, you could almost see them crying in their words because they are so hurt by what they've done to themselves and they don't see their value. Yeah. And I think, is, the, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, or you just, or you don't see, and I think people, I know that people see this about me, so I guess I'm more like what's the word? Um, I'm more sensitive, I guess, to the subject. Cause I know that, that I can be put in that, in that same frame of reference, but to, to see other people spinning their wheels or to know the other side, you know, the beautiful side of things and how much it would benefit people to see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It just, it, it kills me sometimes. 
it breaks your heart sometimes when you see someone that you know they are trying so hard they are a beautiful person and they are so struggling with self-doubt as to their value to other people everybody has value you've got value to yourself and we struggle with that and I had a conversation with Karina and we start um, when we were getting into the, the women's groups and things like that and then we start the podcast to suddenly realize that you have something to offer that you have a purpose I mean our purpose is our sobriety at the moment your purpose is you're a mom you're a work, hard-working mom you know you, you, you're working on your sobriety we've all got a purpose and to think that you've got to sit and be feel so alone even you can even be in a house full of people and you can feel so alone that you feel that, why am I here? <laughs> I didn't mean to make you upset. <laughs> God, that wasn't what I meant. I knew you were going to make me cry. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, it, it does make you cry when you read some of these posts and you want to hold these people and you want to say, look, you're beautiful. You, can, you have value. Definitely. Um, I think I'm crying because it's, it's right here in my house, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's not just that I'm getting to know these people through the app or through zoom or through our, our groups, um, which is part of it, but it's, it, it is, it's in my house and I am alone. It's horrible. Like, yeah. I feel alone a lot. Um, and you just kind of sit with that. And some of it is preference. Some of it is I want to be alone. You know, my work is so draining that um, I come home and I'm like, oh, just don't talk to me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. nobody talked to me. I need quiet. My brain is overstimulated at this point. I, I am not functioning. Um. The struggle I'm having right now is that, you know, I, I, I have, I have what we just described with a person that I I love and I see potential in and I want all the good things for, but they're spinning their wheels and they're not, you know, doing the, the work. And like in my situation, um, you know, it's my husband and he does other things and those other things in his brain should equate to the things that that I want. Yeah. And so I feel very, this is, this is one of the struggles that we had yesterday is that I had uh, really kind of cracked on this really nice gesture that he had done for me in the morning um, and really hurt his feelings. And I didn't, I didn't mean to, um, but I did. And I had to kind of deal with, um, what that meant for me because um, I struggle with connecting at home uh, because my needs aren't met, I guess. Okay. Um, you know, there's certain things that I want and I'm getting like everything but that. Um, 
Sometimes, so it's, sometimes you just want to cuddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just something simple. Just sit there, just cuddle and find a little quiet space together is hard when you're both it's like being in two separate rooms. You can be in the same room, but you're both in separate rooms. It's, it's hard sometimes. And you saying that about what happened with you yesterday, I had the same thing happen to me this morning. I, I did manage to get out for a walk and get it out of my head. But um, Dan did something this morning and my tone of voice when I spoke to him, I I don't know about it. some days, and I had this conversation as well this morning. Is some days I lose my empathy. Yes, that is me most days. <laughs> I lose my empathy, and I feel awful for it, and it makes me feel guilty because it's not his fault the way he is. Right. Well, one of the things that my husband said to me that probably bothered me the most yesterday was that it wasn't that I had taken a, a positive situation and suddenly made it stressful. Cause that's what I did is I, I was in a positive situation, but my brain was anxious and my brain couldn't let the anxiety go. It needed to just mm -hmm. kind of spill it out. And so I did. And then that just caused stress on my husband who was headed to bed and didn't need to be sitting up thinking about all the things that I had just spewed on him. And so like, and the, and there's like this side of me that's like, I don't, I don't care. This is what's in my brain. Deal with it. <laughs> um, but in having this conversation and having this interaction, the takeaway from it was that he was like, you're not here. You're not present. You're present for work and that takes almost everything out of you and when you come home there's nothing left for me there's nothing left for our son you want to be by yourself um and part of that is is self-care and how I recover yeah. and some of it is is me just avoiding things that I'm unhappy about so if if you know my husband can spend all day, you know, cooking and cleaning and, and things around the house. And that makes me happy and everything. But when I think about our relationship, I know that it needs therapy and sobriety and these things that I'm not getting. Okay. And so that's, that's really difficult for me because it feels like I disregard all of the nice things that he does because I'm not getting, you know, that that's a, that's a struggle. That's a big struggle that I'm dealing with right now because I do kind of feel like my family feels like they're walking on eggshells around me. Um, do you feel like feel you're like on I'm an eggshells? unhappy person? No, I, no, I don't. I mean, I pretty much say what I want to say. I don't have the best delivery right now. Um, like I say, sometimes um, it's hard to find empathy. And in relationships, I'm not a relationship expert. I mean, I would, <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> I mean, my my first husband and I, we were we were babies when we got married. We practically grew up together. We were married 30 years and, you know, lots of ups and downs, and not easy times. Mm -hmm. And I think it was um, learning that, and 
it's something I've learned and I take with me all the time is communication is the key to everything. And we get so busy that we cannot find that small, quiet time to talk, to communicate. There's always something getting in the way of it a lot of the times. To, and it gets to the point where you have to shut everybody else off and say, okay, this is it. We have got to. And it's like I came back off my walk this morning and I, I did speak to, to Dan and I, I said, okay. I said, I know what I did. I said, and I will work on it. Um, I said, but by the same token, it's a two-way thing. You know, um, I, my first thing this morning was Dan being sick and needing the bathroom before I've even opened my eyes. So I was, uh, my empathy was not around a lot. So, you know, I'm cleaning up sick first thing in the morning before I've had a cup of tea or anything. And it, for some reason, I got the grouches and I was not happy about it. And um, I can't imagine why not. Um, <laughs> that didn't I mean, put you in a good mood. <laughs> I've said to him sometimes that, and this is hard, and I think there's a lot of women can relate to this, actually, is there's a lot of times I don't feel like a wife. Yeah. I feel I like just, a mother a lot. I, I'm, I feel like a mother and a carer with a 200-pound baby. I, I don't feel like a wife at times, and I want to be a wife because that's part of my identity. Right. I'm me, but part of me is a wife, and I've lost it somewhere along the way. And I think I get a bit aggrieved, you know, and we're allowed to get upset and grumpy and, you know, things like that, because that those are human emotions. And the one thing we're learning on our journey is face, face the emotions, the tough ones. Yes. You know, it's. And when you're told something that you suddenly realize that you'd be behaved in a certain way, we still go on the defensive until we mm. step back and evaluate what someone said to us. And then we start thinking, and it's a bit like telling the story. You're telling yourself what you did and then you go back and you listen. So there's all these things going on in your mind and you're thinking, well, did I really? Not sure I like that. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like looking in the mirror, isn't it? When you go back and listen to the it story. Is. Uh, it is. And it, this, I think learning to find yourself and this is a I always people say I've got to go and find myself and I always say well, you're not lost it's it's finding your inner self the person because when you become happy with you you can work it into the rest of your life if you're unhappy inside then like you say everybody around you is on eggshells because they can see your unhappiness because whatever we've got in us comes out. Mm -hmm. um, well, one of the things that I'm kind of looking at myself is that I've almost 
put myself in like this protective place. And it was something that I kind of had to get accustomed to because I was not used to self-care or taking Mm -hmm. myself into consideration or listening to my needs. And I feel like when I did that, I went in head first. And one of the things that concerned me about starting to do more self-care and and more intuitive, you know, care was that I would be so focused on myself that I would not be paying attention to the people around me. And I think that, I think that's exactly what happened. I think I've got myself in like this protective bubble where I know what's keeping me safe. And it's, you know, like I have to go to work. I can't get around that. So I just have to go to work and get through that day. And then I have to come home and I have to take care of myself. And one of the things that's kind of been bothering me lately is that I'm doing a lot of research. You know, we talked about how much we are constantly looking into things and seeking, you know, information. Well, I'm constantly doing that with myself and it's not, my husband and I are having a hard time communicating about this because he has a debilitating um, condition. He has fibromyalgia. He has chronic fatigue. He has IBS. He has diverticulitis. He has all of these things that affect him physically and keep him in chronic pain. Right. Well, mine is, mine is mental. Mine is all mental. I'm neurodivergent. My brain doesn't fire the same way. And I'm just now realizing all of that. And so when we have conversations and when I explain things to him and go, well, my brain, I've learned that my brain does this because of this reason, or I've learned that the way that I react to this is because of this. And, And he's like, all you want to do is blame everything on your new diagnosis is it's you want to blame it on your ADHD. You want to blame it on your anxiety and depression and I'm not blaming it. And he's kind of like, you know, I don't get to blame, you know, my chronic pain on, you know, anything, what, you know, what nobody's doing anything about that for me. And it's like, not, it's like apples and oranges. Like we're not comparing the same thing. Um, with that, we're talking about like mental health and, and the way brains function versus a chronic pain situation which is different but I'm also like you can't go well I have chronic pain so I'm gonna do things well actually you could you could say I have chronic pain so I'm gonna do things differently so he has chronic pain so he could work out on a regular basis and that would do wonders for his chronic pain but he doesn't do that I have a problem with how my brain fires I'm educating myself on that so that I become aware of when I misfire so that I can correct that problem moving forward. And it's not an overnight situation, but it is something that I am working on and progressing on. And so I get really pissed off when we have like, it feels like a pissing contest, you know, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, no, 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 no. My brain is doing this and I'm trying to work through this. And I'm trying, you know, like I have this, this rejection sensitivity and it makes me angry and it makes me sad and it, it causes these big mood influxes and, I'm not asking to just be excused because of it. I'm just trying to tell you why it's happening so that the next time it happens, maybe we can catch it and work on it, or I can work on it or whatever. I have to acknowledge the problem. If you want me to fix the problem, you've acknowledged your problem. You're not doing anything to fix your problem. You know, it's kind of like the other stuff, the alcoholism and the drinking that continues and the fact that he quit therapy. It's like, you know, you're not doing these things 
that would really help. And I'm going on a tangent now because I'm no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> no, and but what you're saying is, is that you're not blaming these things. You are looking for answers as to why. And ways to do things differently. I'm, That's you know, it. I know there, there's cognitive behavioral therapies and there's, you know, regular therapy. So I am in the process of stopping to stop. I'm going to stop seeing the guy that I've been seeing for my therapy. And I'm going to switch to a counselor who deals with ADHD and marital problems and parenting and codependency, all these things that I have recognized as problems within myself, I have found a counselor who specializes in that because that's where I need help. Now, my therapist, I go to him and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm looking into cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of help with this, that, and the other with my ADHD. And he's like, yeah, well, we're treating you with medicine. So, you know, we're good. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not good. Uh, we're far from good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I need some help. And he doesn't know how to help me. He knows how to prescribe medications and he knows how to listen to me, but he doesn't know how to guide me. And so now I need another level of therapy and I'll keep him, you know, for my medications, but he's not going to be my therapist anymore because I need a better co coaching system. Like, so you're being gotta, proactive. You're being, you're being proactive. I'm a very proactive person. I am. Proactive procrastinator. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a proactive procrastinator. <laughs> I am. So, well, I guess I'm not yeah, a proactive. Not I am a very reactive person. That's a better description is I am okay. very reactive. So like a good example of that is that when I am burnt out at work um, and I'm doing too many things at once, the doctors that I work for fest at me that when they walk into my office and there's two or three of us in there, I'm the first person to stop what I'm doing and turn around to see what they need because I'm reactive. Like I know yeah. something needs to be done. So I react. It may not be, I'm not the best person for that reaction at that time, but I do it. You know, if you text me, I will text you back most of the time. Like sometimes I don't because, because <laughs> of my brain, but most of the time, <laughs> most of the time I will text you right back it, or as soon as I read it, <laughs> if I don't text oh. you back. It just means that I'm just struggling mentally at the moment. And I don't have the, the, mental energy or emotional energy to respond. But most of the time I do, you know, if you, uh, if you say that something needs to be done, I just, I get it done. And some of that's because if I don't do it right then and there, I'll forget, you know, mm -hmm. I leave notes for myself constantly. There's sticky notes and spreadsheets and all kinds of things that kind of keep me on, on track, but I'm just very reactive. If, if you tell me something has to be done and I get to choose the timeline on that, I will procrastinate it. But, you know, if, if I know that something is urgent or it needs to be done or it's something that interests me, then I'm very reactive. And, and, and you do see that about me. And I get annoyed with other people who are not reactive. <laughs> so if I text you back and I'm waiting for an answer and you don't answer me until the next day, I'm irritated about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I rely on Alexa to keep me <laughs> <laughs> she's very good actually she does my shopping good. lists and I've I've even used her for my to-do lists and I've given her my to-do list like 
I needed to clean out the gutters and I needed to touch up some paintwork. So I was doing this to-do list with Alexa. And um, every time I did one of my tasks, I was telling her to take it off the list. So her and I were pretty, we became pretty good friends. I love it. I love it. I love throwing sticky notes away. I love the satisfaction of crossing things off of a list or check marking things. Like I, I was telling my friend, I started a new workout routine um, and I needed just something that was a little more organized. And so yeah. I got my spreadsheet. And as I do my exercises, I just check them off because that's what helps me. This is it. We need toolboxes for everything we do, don't we? And it's only when we get into sobriety and start examining toolboxes that we understand that we need them for more than just sobriety. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about toolboxes and what we've got in them. How's that? All All right. right. We'll be back in a minute. Hey guys, we are back and we're going to talk about tools and other things. One of the things we touched on when we just took a quick break was uh, meds. And I think I was on a, a low dose anxiety sertraline medication and I drank while I was taking it, which negated taking <laughs> the medicine. And I wonder how many people do exactly the same thing take anxiety meds and still drink. Did you? It's, it's, you know, when you're in the healthcare profession, it's, yep. it's a little, little embarrassing when you think about the ways that you've abused your body or maybe abused medications or done things that you clearly know better about. Mm-hmm. And uh, for probably a good 15 to 20 years, I've taken Xanax off and on, um, for anxiety. I have never had a problem with it. I've never had a dependency and I'm very, very careful with it. I don't take it very often. Um, but, um, I've always had that in my life when things started to get really stressful for me a couple of years ago, I started on Prozac and I just kept upping the dose. I kept going, okay, this isn't enough. Let's try the next dose, the next dose, the next dose. And I was on a, a pretty high dose of Prozac and drinking and still very anxious. Because surprise, surprise. You, yeah. You get anxious when you're drunk and, and hung over all the time. And so I think back and I was like, man, I was taking these high doses of Prozac. I was drinking every night. There were nights that I knew I needed to go to bed, but I was drunk. And so I would go take a handful of God knows what sleeping pills, Benadryl, melatonin, uh, Xanax. I mean, who knows what I was taking Mm -hmm. and who knows how toxic of a cocktail I could have put together without thinking about it because I was blackout drunk. I mean, who knows if I could have taken the medication twice or three times, you know, thinking that I hadn't taken it yet. I mean, that's very common with my brain as is, then you, you know, inebriate it and it's even worse. And so, um, yeah. And at that point I was, (laughs) we were so blind to ourselves Yes, grinding my teeth constantly because of the Prozac. It's a side effect that some people have. And I didn't know that. So I was grinding my teeth constantly. I was breaking my fillings and my teeth and I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden I was having all these dental problems. It was because I was on an incredibly high dose of Prozac that wasn't doing anything for me and drinking straight through it. Um, You know, now I'm on a nice dose of the sertraline 
Yeah, me too. I, and, and that helps me with my depression and my anxiety. And then I also take Buspiron, which is a more short term anxiety medication, but it doesn't have the addictive qualities that Xanax has. So you can take it throughout the day. And I did notice recently, I, I um, didn't fill my prescription. It was just every day was so busy that I couldn't get to the pharmacy and I didn't take it for a week and I could feel it. Like my anxiety started to climb and it wasn't catastrophic. It's not the same as when I go without my antidepressants for a week. That is, that is very messy, but um, (laughs) so don't do that. But um, I definitely, this past week was not the week to go without more anxiety medicines, basically. I've reduced mine and I did try to come off it, but I went back to crying all the time and I thought, I don't want to be crying all the time. So I thought, no. And it's another tool in my sobriety journey is that medication. And while it's only small, it keeps me level emotionally. And as we know, all women, we're all emotional. What is it? Women are emotional and men are cerebral. Um, You know, we do. We are an emotional species. It's just the way we're made. We're hormonal. And I use it. It is one of the tools in my toolbox for my sobriety. And I'm going to assume rightly or wrongly because ah, assume makes an ass out of you and me. I was always told that the first rule of management, never assume. It'll make an ass out of you. You do the same thing. It's part of your toolbox is to be careful with your medication and how you take it and why you take it. And being okay with taking it, you know, back yes. to stigmas, yes. stigmas about mental health. You know, one thing that I find the more I attend the Zooms, the more people that I meet, the more I interact with people. Do you ever realize that a lot of us have anxiety, depression, mood disorders, personality disorders, bipolar, ADHD, all of these things that go hand in hand with alcoholism yep. because they are all these unstable ways of existing and we don't know how to cope. And so alcohol just becomes this medicine and crutch and coping mechanism. But we all, there's so many of us where alcoholism is just the sidebar. And I, I hate to distract a from like how serious alcoholism is and how many people struggle solely with alcoholism and detoxing and staying away from it every single day. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't have that relationship with alcohol. I had to break a habit and I had to retrain my way of thinking And now it's kind of like, I've said this in in Zooms before, but now I look at alcohol as something like I'm allergic to something that makes me really sick. So like, I just kind of, or like if I was on a diet and it was chocolate cake, you know, like I can't have it. I can't have that. I can't, you know, as healthy as I get, as stable as I get, I can't have alcohol because what if that one time is the last time and everything falls apart from there. Just like, what if I took a medication that I'm allergic to and it kills me, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol yes. is the exact yes. same thing. So I don't have like that chronic struggle with alcohol in that respect. I just have to learn how to sit with my feelings and deal with my stuff because alcohol is no longer an option. 
Um, and so a lot of us have that problem. And, and I know that there are some of us that alcohol and substance abuse is the problem. And, and that is the big problem that people are trying to get over. Um, but for me, I feel like that was a, a side effect of a lot of other things that were going on that I had never, ever acknowledged my entire life. I thought it was everybody else, not me. I don't have any problems. I just like to drink and have fun. Um, I don't think we realize, I don't think we realize we were using it as a coping mechanism at first. Yeah. Because that's what it started out as. Well, you've got the social side of it. Yeah, you know, you've got the social side of it, which is all the fun, the happy when you just meet up on the odd occasion, when you're just socializing at first and having the fun times, because I've had fun times. I've had good times. I've had great times. It's towards the end when it was just the maintenance drinking mm-hmm. was was the bad time, was the time where this is no longer. This is horrible. I hate this pour me another drink sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it goes from being something enjoyable to a coping mechanism. Yeah. And I think that's, like you say, there, there are, I think there are different, this is, I suppose, different types of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like anything though, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure we all have something at the root of our alcoholism or substance abuse, but how great of a problem is the alcoholism or substance abuse? How big of it is it in comparison to all the other things that are contributing to it? What are we masking? Mm -hmm. What is the alcohol or the substance abuse covering up? For some people, people, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I I think some Mm -hmm. people, their alcoholism just gets so bad that they just, just getting out from underneath the alcoholism. They mm-hmm. can't even get out from underneath not drinking to get enough time to even dive into the other stuff that, yeah. you know, yeah. they are struggling so much with just getting out from underneath the alcohol. And so like, I can, I can relate to that, but I, I feel like I hit, you know, you know, Lilo is, or Lilo, he's talked about, you know, the 21 days, you know, you get to 21 days and your body kind of is, is it's got it out of its system. Like I definitely felt that. And I do feel a nag of, of wanting to drink, but it's never that I want to, it's never for the right reasons. You know, when that nag comes around, it's because I've got something I don't want to deal with. And I can see that and recognize it almost immediately now and go, Ooh, what do I not want to think about? What do I not want to feel? Because that I get like an intrusive thought of you should drink. (laughs) really mm-hmm. quick and I have to go hmm, where'd that come from what's triggering that and you know that's huge isn't it when you get these these realizations when you start examining why before we got to this stage we wouldn't have even thought about it we'd have had a drink mm-hmm. absolutely Ugh, you know I've had, shit, I've, had, I've had a shit I've had yeah I've had a shit day pour me a drink It's a good time today. Let's have a drink. Oh, I'm tired. Let's have a drink. You know, anything. That was their solution. Now, I've had a shit day. Why? Because this happened, this happened, this. You start examining things rather than just shoving it all to one side and coping Mm -hmm. by having a drink. So we're learning to deal with life because. We are. 
we got no choice. There's no choice in this. You've made me think of something in talking like that. You've made me think of something because, you know, we are, we are having to find new ways to deal with life. Right. And one of the things that I did want to kind of retouch on that is a personal struggle for me, but I know that other people deal with Mm -hmm. is that, you know, we, I've noticed a lot of discord on the app with people trying to decide if they put, if they spend too much time on the app, do they spend too much time talking about sobriety, you know, all of these things and they feel guilty and they feel like they're ignoring the outside world in favor of their sobriety and and things like that. Um, I 100% am experiencing that. That's something that I'm, I wanted to bring up because I don't really know what to do. I, I don't know how to balance this part. So, um, you know, I've, I've said, you know, I, I go to work, I come home, my brain is tired. I can decompress by talking to you guys. Okay. I can chat with you guys. I can call somebody on the phone and talk to them on the phone. That helps me decompress, but I can't do it with the people in my home, which is kind of sad, but I feel like it's because we are all on this same path and we enjoy enjoy maybe the wrong word, but we can talk about it. We have thoughts and ideas and relatable facts and, you know, things like that. So when we, we can talk and talk and talk to each other about our mental health and about our alcoholism, about our struggles and about our frustrations. And if I bring it up at home, it's just like, Oh, here we go again. Talking about your alcoholism, talking about your mental health, talking, here we go. And so, you know, my family feels this disconnect, but it's because I feel like I can't talk to them about the things that are so prevalent in my life right now. You know, unfortunately, this is what's taking up all my time. You know, you say you said enjoy wasn't the right word, but it is an enjoyment. It's enjoying finding camaraderie. It's enjoying finding people that can relate to what you're talking about. Because as you say, you talk to your husband about it, he can't relate to it. Mm-hmm. So you come into the app. Um, I love being in the ladies groups. Um, I, love, I love the app. I'm, my, my relationship with the app is changing more. I've used it as my, when I first came into this, I, it was my support. It was my it really was my support. That was my go-to. And yeah, uh, you wonder, you go into it for a while and then you start thinking, hang on, am I swapping one addiction for another addiction? And you see it so many times with people. But then after a while, you'll still see people who've drifted away from it. And then all of a sudden they come back and they say, I suddenly realize I need to be here. Mm-hmm. Or it's they've no, reset. Yeah, or they've reset. And that's no different to people going to a daily AA meeting. That's their support network. They need that meeting with AA to keep them on the path. If you were to spend an hour in the app, it's no different to spending an hour at an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. It's your support network. It's the thing that's going to get you through. And I love being in the ladies groups because, no disrespect, fellas, but we've got different wants and needs emotionally. We have more physical things ladies do. You guys don't have to go through half of this shit. Thank you, lucky stars. 
Um, and it, it, it's good to have, we don't just talk about alcohol. And I think I can understand some people saying, oh, can we not talk about alcohol? I don't want to talk about alcohol today. Can we just forget about alcohol? Yeah, we don't have to talk about alcohol. But there is someone who is going to want to talk about it. So we have to be prepared to be there for them because there's a time. My, my thinking is I'll be there because there may be a time when I need you to be there for me if I struggle. So, you know, it's a two-way thing, as every, like everything. But, and as I say, I felt guilty for it. But then after a while, I thought, no, this, this keeps me sober. And if this mm -hmm. keeps me sober, then I'm sticking with it. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I think I need to start, uh, you know, I always go to the Zooms um, and I pick and choose which ones that I go to, but I don't think I've missed a whole week, but maybe once, maybe mm -hmm. once or twice. Yeah. Um, but I go at some, at some point and I feel like a lot of times when I do go, it's meant to be because I need to hear a certain message. And this past weekend, um, we talked about resentment twice in both yeah. meetings. And um, it, I learned a lot from them because uh, I got some, some perspective about how I'm functioning in my real life. Because it's very easy for me to check out of real life and to check into the app or check into these relationships the virtual world the virtual yes very easy for me to check out of real life and check into the virtual world um just because i've been in the real life for been in the real world too much for the day but um i i, I am losing a portion of myself that connects to people and i'm it's it's happening at work and it's happening at home you know i'm not connecting with my husband in in ways that i probably could make more effort i'm not connecting with my son and more recently, I found out that I'm not really connecting with my employees at work and that they feel very like all I am. I'm kind of like the mom, like you've done this wrong and you've charted this poorly and you've mislabeled this. And I'm constantly You're like the nag. I am. And I'm the nag at home. I'm the one that's like, I feel like I carry the burden and I feel resentful about it. And it makes me negative. And then I have no desire to put anything positive back in, you know, because I already feel negative and I, it's, it's going to be a new practice for me to purpose, to do that with purpose. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to actually, it's not going to come organically. It's not no. going to be something that I walk in and I'm like, I love you. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to, I'm going to, you're not just poppy. Like with, you're not poppy. <laughs> off trolls. You're not going to come in all <laughs> rainbows. <laughs> it's not, I'm going to have to go. Ooh, time to go check on your coworkers and see if they're okay today. You know, go pop over and say, good morning. You need to be social. And it was just like my practice yesterday when I hurt my husband's feelings, he went upstairs cause he was hurt. And I stayed downstairs and just kind of text him for a while that I was sorry. And that wasn't, that's not a good apology. You know, why, really did, did yeah, why did you not go up the stairs? I did eventually. That, I, at, but, but at first I was like, he's mad at me and I kind of messed up and I'll just say, I'm sorry, but he's still mad at me. 
And then I was like, no, I really hurt his feelings. Like he really, like he cleaned the whole kitchen and made this big old breakfast and woke me up and had coffee made. And my son sitting at the table with his plate full. I mean, like there was so much thought and effort. My mother's put day. Into it. <laughs> it was. And today is father's day. And yes. here I am like, let's talk about finances and everything that's freaking me out right now. he's like what the frick Rebecca (laughs) you know (laughs) so like I I have to be more conscious and and for me that feels like right now like I I'm like there's so much on my plate and now I have to do what you know just more (laughs) this comes down yeah this comes down to giving you that little kernel of self-care Mm-hmm. Because when you concentrate on yourself and you give yourself that space to be, it brings you back and it helps you deal and it helps you connect. Because, I mean, like you say, connecting in the real world, I mean, I'm dreadful. I have no problem connecting with anybody. I'll talk to anybody in the grocery store. I'm dreadful. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's why I'm um, good at my job, to be honest. You know, I can be it. friends with just about anybody. But it's, it, you do sometimes feel like the nag. And I've said, this is, this is where I want, this is, comes back to me saying earlier on about sometimes I don't feel like a wife. I feel like a nag because I'm saying, put your feet up. Come on, we got to do this and we got to do that. And, you know, don't do that because that, that'll cause problems and you can't have that and you can't eat that. And you get fed up of it. You get tired of it. You get tired of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and when it's your child, it's one thing when it's your spouse, it's another. And mm-hmm. then you start, you know, and, and sometimes that's just a reality, you know, that's your reality, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it doesn't take an emotional toll on you and cost you something. Yeah. So, I mean, how often do you get to spend me time without feeling guilty about it? I do it every day. So I'm at the point where I'm wondering if I'm abusing it. That's, that's where I'm kind of at. I'm like, if I, have I gotten so selfish in my me time and my self-care and what I need that I am, I'm, it's my new go-to, you know, it's like, do you want to be around me? No, you don't want to be around me. Okay, great. I don't want to be around you. So I'll be in the bedroom for the rest of the night. Bye. And I do that like practically every day. And I wake up at five in the morning because I like to be by myself in the morning too. Um, it helps me get ready for the day and mentally mm-hmm. prepare for what the day is going to bring on. And I have a lot of things start with my day. You know, I have people call out sick or, you know, so my day starts before I've even left the house usually. And so I'm at that point now where, and, and now that the guys are doing this different schedule, I have all this free time and maybe it's going to help me balance this, to be honest. I mean, honestly, maybe it'll, it'll help me balance it as I'm thinking about it because, you know, my husband will be asleep and I will be awake and I have all this span of time to do whatever I want. Lately, I've been like going to the pool and not feeling guilty about not about neglecting people because I'm not, they're asleep. I'm not they're neglecting asleep. anybody. They're mm-hmm. asleep. So it's great, you know? Um, and then when they're not asleep, I need to be present instead, you know, instead of being like, that's great that y'all are awake, but I'm still at the pool talking to my friends on the phone or, you know, whatever. 
I need to be like, okay, family time now. So like today is father's day and I am going to go to the pool after we get off the phone and I'm going to lay out, I'm going to relax and I'm going to listen to some podcasts, but then I'm going to come back home and I'm going to clean the kitchen because we're going to be grilling. And that's what my husband loves to do. And a clean kitchen is where you start. So I'm going to clean the kitchen for him. And like, I'm, I'm just trying, I've been trying to think proactively, how am I going to show him that I am thankful for him as the father that he is, you know, like, how can I show him? uh, And, and it's not a monetary thing. Like, I don't want to buy him anything. I'm not big on like buying things for stuff like that. Like show him, I could give him a back rub that would definitely show him, you know, there are things that I can do. So like, I'm already kind of planning it, but my first priority is, is my self-care. Yeah. And I need to figure out more balance in that so that, you know, it's not my default because right now it, my self-care is kind of my default. Like I force myself to go to work. I force myself to do my job all day. And then I come home and I default to get away from me. I'm self-care now. <laughs> and I you've don't, lo- you've lost your happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, I, I'm getting it back though. Like I feel yeah. like I'm starting to get it back. I just, it's, I just have to figure it out. And I'm, and it being summer and, and, um, you know, like I, I feel better about myself and, and that helps, you know, and yeah, and I don't know. There's just so many I always, pieces to this puzzle. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a daily discovery. I mean, we're constantly discovering things. Um, I always, I kept, when I lost my happy, I kept thinking of the two little trolls, Polly and uh, Poppy, Polly, I'm Polly. Poppy and I can't remember the little guy's name and he was all gray and she was all pink. And then when he got his feelings and his happy back, he came back and it, all his little colors came back and he changed color from gray. And I always think, okay, I can feel my color changing. <laughs> the old Cindy Lauper song, your true colors. and um, True colors shining through. Yeah, that's it. And you've got to get to your happy. Have you heard, and this is someone that, Al Webby on the website turned me on to. This is, and I love these. Have you heard of Melody Beattie? Uh-uh. Research Melody Beattie's books. They're, they're about codependency. There's an entry for each day that you can read. And a lot of them will touch on everything we've talked about today. Oh, you'll have you'll to send find... me like, the name in our group or something. So I can yes. look it up. And... Um, there, she's got two or three. I mean, I've got two of the books. So I've just ordered another book. Um, one is um, Letting Go. Another is A Journey of the Heart to the Soul. And the readings each day you can relate to. The, the one, the Letting Go one, does go over a lot of this 12 steps in a way. But it talks about things like fear, prayer meditation you can find you don't have to stick with each day because she puts the dates you can look through the index and find one of the days that will relate to something you you're thinking about and these have been so thought-provoking for me that I'm thinking wow and someone was 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 going through something and the reading for the day was weird because it said the one thing you can go back to that is always going to be there is your heart if you're struggling, go back to your heart. 
And it, I will send you the links. Um, and I will also put the links at the bottom of this podcast if anybody is interested, because um, I love them. You can get them uh, from our beautiful friend, who, uh, Mr. Amazon, Mr. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> He's going into space, isn't he? And um, you can you can have a word with Alexa. She'll get them for you anytime you like. But she... <laughs> I did, uh, I did a post last night that actually po- related to some of the Melody BT stuff. So if you go and read my post from yesterday, it was, um, it was about facing life. And I did put that I will only give up when the old ticker stops. I'm not giving up till then. So thank you so much. I've loved thank this you. chat. Me too. Enjoy your time by the pool. Find your little happy spot. Find your little happy place and enjoy Father's Day. Make him Thank smile. You, I will. Make him will. smile. All right, darling. You have a wonderful right. day. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Take care. You Bye. Too. Bye. Bye-bye.